God is holy and merciful and his word is holy. Therefore, we give God honor and glory by giving him the due respect for his holy word. So let's stand together as we turn to uh, read together from Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9. We're reading a portion of a rather long prayer given by the Levites, but it is rich and beautiful. We'll start reading together at 16 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them, even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you out or brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for the way in which they were to go. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from them, uh, from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, Forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them um, as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Shihon and the king of Heshbon and the land of Og and the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land. And you subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. You gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your great goodness. But they became disobedient, and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who had admonished them, so they might Returned to you, and they had committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven according to your great compassion. You gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order uh, to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. Uh, 
by which if a man observes them, they shall live. But they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Let's pray. Our beloved Lord, help us to hear and receive that word that you will you give unto us, this your holy word. We thank you for um, the, your Holy Spirit who has inspired these your holy words unto us. And Lord, help us to believe and help us to receive the gospel knowing that you are a gracious and compassionate God. But we ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Westminster Shorter Catechism gives us a definition. What is God? God is the Spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Perhaps you never thought of it this way, but when it talks about being infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being. He's infinite, eternal, and and unchangeable in his wisdom, in his power. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his holiness, in his justice. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his goodness and in his truth. And the one thing that we're looking at today as, as an attribute of God is God's goodness as demonstrated in this text of Scripture. God's goodness in particular, his loving kindness and compassionate long-suffering for sinners, even sinners such as us. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his compassionate long-suffering for sinners. Now the reason why we have this book of Nehemiah in the first place is because of sin. But you have to go back a long way to to reference why we even have this book of Nehemiah. Again, um, Solomon foretold Remember when Solomon had that great ceremony of dedicating the, the, the first temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Solomon was praying, and in some of what he was praying was prophecy, it was prophetic. He had prayed that um, the people, if they sinned, that they God would have mercy upon them if he had to cause them to go to become captive and taken into a land of the enemy. God warned the people of that many times, and eventually it did come to pass. But Solomon also prayed, and this, these words are here in your outline. He says that, Lord, we pray if your people confess their sins, that you would make them as objects of compassion before those who have taken them captive. Of course, we know that Israel was uh, first taken captive by Assyria, and then Judah was later taken captive by Babylon, and then Babylon was overtaken by um, the, per- the kingdom of Persia. So they were captive by Babylon. Now they were captive by um, the Persians. But we know that Nehemiah was granted favor. He was granted compassion from his, those who had um, dominion over him. 
Um, he had the privilege of serving as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. You could say the emperor of the whole entire Persian Empire. He went before him. He asked for favor for his people so that he can go back and help them in their distress to rebuild the wall that had been broken down in many places and also to rebuild the gates that had been burned with fire. So God gave uh, his compassion and fulfillment of this passage, compassion upon the captives uh, and allowing them to return and to, to go back and in, to repopulate the promised land. But again, they needed someone like Nehemiah to help them to rebuild and help uh, them to reestablish a safety and to help them establish godly laws and along with Ezra, godly uh, worship. Um, despite local opposition, despite mocking, despite um, even those who threatened to kill them, and at times I believe even a, an assassination attempt on the part of Nehemiah, they still were able to rebuild the wall. It says in Nehemiah 6, they were able to do so in 52 days. Even the enemies who surrounded them realized that this work had been accomplished not by the, the strength of man, but they had realized that it had been accomplished with the help of their God. And they, uh, they knew that, and it was a testimony unto that. So God blessed them. God had compassion on them, even though they were still subjects of the Persian Empire. But they were had their, their city walls rebuilt. They were safe again against those who sought to do them harm. And they were reestablishing worship. Out of thanksgiving, they worshiped the Lord. Out of thanksgiving, they gave him the praise. And in the previous chapters, part of this praise included the reading of enormous, tremendous amounts of Scripture. But along with reading Scripture came a conviction of sin. And we find here, during a, one of the worship services, an extended prayer uh, by the Levites. And it's, a lot of it includes a confession of sin. It takes up most of chapter um, 9 of Nehemiah. Verse 2 tells us why the Levites gave this long history of God's mercy and among his people, but also of their sin. Verse 2 says this, The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So what we're reading today is pretty much them confessing the iniquities of their fathers and giving us a, a redemptive history in the confession of sin of the fathers here. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that we are to praise God, we are to worship God for his long-suffering with sinners. Or maybe you want to say that you are to praise God for his long-suffering regarding you and your sin. We'll see this in two main points. We'll look at two, the first main point, um, repeated wickedness in response to God's grace. There was a repeated wickedness in response to God's grace. Secondly, God's long-suffering with sinners. Let's look at this first main point, repeated wickedness to God's grace. Now, what we're going to see here is a pattern. God is merciful. God is good. God does wonderful things for his people. Yet how do they reply? Over and over again with sin and wickedness. Verse 16 gives us an overview. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn 
and would not listen to your commandments. Um, first, we'll see how they rebelled after their delivery from Egypt. Look at verse 17. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds. You could say wondrous miracles, which you had, done, you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. You remember that they said, oh, well, remember the leeks and the onions and all this wonderful stuff that we had in Egypt. I guess they forgot the whips and they forgot the, the unbearable burden of slavery. But they still wanted to go back, many of them. They became wicked and blasphemous even after God had given them the promised land. So it says in verses 22 through 26, You also gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them to their boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, and the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land. And I subdued, that's God, subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hand. And with their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses, of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and reveled in your great goodness. So far, so good. They, did, they, they rejoiced in what God gave them. But look what happens next. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them so that they might return to you. And they committed great blasphemies. God had mercy. God fulfilled his promises in giving them the promised land. But in reply, they turned their backs upon him and upon his law and did what was right in their own eyes. Um, it says, uh, that leads into the next one. Because of their idolatry, God delivered them into the hand of their oppressors who oppressed them. Verse 27. And they recalled uh, this repeated judges cycle. Look at the middle of 27 and following. When they cried to you in the time of their distress, you heard from heaven According to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers. You could, trans, you could say judges. God gave them judges who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them according to your compassion. This is the repeated cycle over and over again in Judges. And you admonished them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. Now, I think we could understand that as them sinning against God's ordinances, God's laws, is to sin against God himself. That's, they, they, they didn't just sin against ordinances. They sinned against God their maker, their creator, their redeemer, the one who brought them into the promised land, who kept his promise unto them, yet they rejected 
God and did what was right in their own eyes. Now, after this period of judges, they had a, and they had a time of stability under Samuel, under David, and under Solomon for the vast majority of his rule, not just the beginning, but the vast majority of his rule until the end. God gave them safety and, and he gave them peace and surrounded them like a, with a hedge built all around them. But then after the death of Solomon and the kingdom went into descent again. Verse 30 goes on and tells about what happened after that. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Now, this is not verse 30 here is not talking about the judges cycle. But you could say perhaps it's reminiscent of the judges cycle. God gave him into the hand of deliverers. Again, Assyria came in and took uh, Israel. At this time, the kingdom was divided because of the, uh, the poor leadership of um, Solomon's son. Assyria took Israel, and then later on, Judah was taken captive by Babylon. Now, keep in mind this. Throughout Scripture, God disciplines his people by the means of foreign powers. And if a nation or a people of God rebel and refuse to submit, don't be surprised even if our nation gets judged by an oppressive foreign power. Now, how do we keep from that happening? Do, does every single person of this nation have to repent and believe in Jesus for God to spare our nation? Not according to the prayer, the Holy Spirit-inspired prayer of Solomon, also during the dedication of the temple. If the people who are called according to his name, namely those who confess Christ, turn from their evil, wicked ways and seek the Lord and pray, God will hear from heaven and heal their land, and he will spare them from such destruction. To pray not only for our church, but pray for other churches. Pray for all those who are called according to the name of Christ, that they would turn and repent so that God would not take us uh, captive by the power of a foreign um, power. But after considering this repeated history of the Hebrews' stubbornness, many would have given up on them long ago. They would have considered them as hopeless sinners. They're hopeless beyond cause. There's no, there's no reason to, to, to expect anything good from them. Perhaps you can relate. Sometimes maybe some of us might have a, um, a relative or a, a friend or a child or somebody uh, that we care for and we show them goodness and kindness, but what do they do in return? They don't treat us with love and goodness in return, do they? But here, the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't give up so easily. We may give up, but God does not give up so easily. I am sure thankful that he didn't give up on the Israelites, and I'm sure thankful he didn't give up on me, and you should be thankful that he didn't give up on you. If you are in Christ and you love him through the, by faith through Jesus Christ, that leads us to the second main point. God's long-suffering with sinners 
Again, the Holy Spirit inspired these Levites to write in verse 17b. You are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. These Levites are students of the Old Testament, I believe. And here's where I, 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 I believe it comes from. Let's turn to Exodus 33. Keep your place in Nehemiah, but turn to Exodus 33. This is a time when Moses asked God to see his glory. Now you might say that's an arrogant thing, isn't it? Why would you be so arrogant to say, God, show me your glory? And I think we'll look at that a little bit more in today's uh, text. And the end of chapter 33 of Exodus, Moses says, um, this is the request, verse 18, I pray you, or I pray to you, show me your glory. And God's going to give him some preparation in, in, from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see, my, see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it shall come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen we'll skip to verse 4 of the next chapter chapter 34 so he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children to the third to the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So that's the glorious revelation here. At first <coughs> at first I wanted to say that. The glorious revelation is in what God said. But I believe the glorious revelation is also in the giving of God's holy law. In those writing his law on those two stone tablets. Yes, God was long-suffering with Israel. He was loving and merciful to Israel before, after and during the years of wandering in the wilderness. But notice, some did not enter the promised land, and some did not enter their eternal rest, according to Hebrews 3, 16 and following. 
Now getting back to Nehemiah 9, <clears throat> getting back to Nehemiah 9, even at the great height of Israel's idolatry, the golden calf event, God showed his great compassion as he continued to lead them. Look at verses 18 and 19. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you in your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The middle of verse 19 says how he miraculously guided them. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Verse 20 says it wasn't just by a miraculous pillar of cloud or a miraculous pillar of fire. Verse 20 says that God guided them as well. He's by, it says here, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Now, unless we want to say, well, God only guides us with his Holy Spirit, we'll go back a little bit in the beginning of the chapter. Verse 14 says, you made known to them your holy Sabbath and laid down for them commandments, statutes, and law through your, ser- <coughs> through your servant Moses. So, as is taught here, God leads us not by his spirit alone, but by his word and spirit. Very important. God provided for their every essential need, according to verses 20 and 21. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. As we read earlier, God gave them the promised land, that land he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And despite their sin, despite their wickedness, despite their ongoing repeated wickedness in light of God's grace and mercy, verse 31 gives us an overview statement of his compassionate long-suffering for his chosen people. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and compassionate God. God shows forth his loving kindness. I, I, can, I cannot think of many passages in the, New, in the Old or New Testament that show forth God's long-suffering better than, than this passage. We should praise God for his long-suffering for sinners such as us. We should worship God because of his long-suffering for sinners such as us. We should believe in the gospel because of God's long-suffering for sinners such as us. Even in light of repeated wickedness in response to his grace and mercy, God showed compassion to Israel. But there's something more. Even after we have embraced Jesus Christ... Many of us have continued to commit gross wickedness at times. We sin daily in thought, word, and deed. Of course, some sins, according to the confession, are more heinous than others. But God continues to show us great love and compassion, even though we are sinners. 
and fall short of the glory of God. Some of us have fallen back into repeated sin, but if that is the case, do not give up because you have a gracious, loving, compassionate, long-suffering God. Confess your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Repent of your sin. Ask for help from the Holy Spirit to endeavor after new obedience. And sometimes, if God is going to answer that prayer, it's going to hurt, sometimes really bad. For those whom he loves, he prunes. And sometimes, just like we had to do a lot of pruning yesterday, cutting things off of the plants, God's going to snip off those things that are dishonorable in your life. But pray that God would do that. God's loving, long-suffering kindness to sinners is shown forth first and foremost, most gloriously in the person of Jesus Christ. His compassion for us and his, his desire to save us came from a plan that began at the dawn of creation immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve. After they fell into sin, God promised that he would send the seed of the woman to undo the work of the evil one. And God fulfilled his promise through Jesus Christ. That is a long-suffering God. He has given us Jesus Christ as the second Adam to undo the failures of the first Adam, our first representative. And if you have faith in Jesus, you have a new representative. For if you are in Christ, you will be saved. If you are in Adam, you will die. Christ must be your new representative. Again, Jesus is the absolute most glorious demonstration that God is a forgiving, gracious, compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And he will not forsake you if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. If you have not done so, let's do so today. Let's pray together. Our blessed Lord, we ask that you would help us to love and embrace and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We ask that you would help us to commit ourselves anew. We pray that by your loving kindness and your long suffering that you would take away and prune away from us those sins that so easily beset us. Help us, we pray, to honor, love, and serve you in thought, word, and deed. Forgive us of our many sins and renew in unto us a, a heart after new obedience and a life that demonstrates a new obedience. Forgive us of our many sins, for we ask these things, pleading the blood of Christ, that you would wash us and make us clean through his perfect work. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. Thank you.